Hello and welcome to The Deal Room, where every Wednesday we talk specifically about all things corporate finance, from the biggest M&A and PE deals to the strategy that drives business decision making. We aim to bring what you learn in the classroom to life with real world examples and hopefully at the same time have some fun with it. So let's dive in. Hello and welcome to The Deal Room. This is Stephen standing in for Ant, who is otherwise engaged, but he tells me he's really looking forward to listening to The Deal Room, in part because I told him that this was going to be an episode of good news. So over the last 18 months or so, we've been quite used to pretty bearish news on the market side, a lack of deal making, a lack of IPOs. It's all been pretty slow and pretty sluggish, and we've explained plenty of times on the pod why that might be. But it just seems like the tide is turning. It certainly has been from a market's perspective, as Ant and Piers discuss on a Friday. But it also seems to be turning more from a corporate finance perspective, more from a deal-making perspective. So we're going to talk about a couple of things today. Please do uh, comment under the LinkedIn, ask a question on Spotify. It's always great to engage with people on these types of topics, and I'm sure there are insights that the listenership has that, uh, that will add a little bit of colour to some of these points. So today, we are going to talk about the IPO bounce back in the States. I want to discuss uh, the recent IPO of Oddity, uh, the Israeli makeup technology company. Uh, which IPO'd last week and, and, and was very successful, and also bring in a couple of previous IPOs that have been extremely successful, including Carver, uh, which IPO'd in, in June and was incredibly successful and maybe opened the window for IPOs in the US after about 18 months of pretty sluggish performance. And then I want to talk very quickly about the interaction between the IPO markets and uh, private equity. Your private equity needs to have an exit. And one of the exit routes is the IPO market. And if the IPO market is closed, exits are very hard to come by and they can't recycle cash to their fund investors. So there's a there's a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes, you know, as a result of this good news. But I'm going to spend a little bit of time talking about some of the biggest headlines and trying to put it into a bit of context, maybe trying to explain a little bit about what is going on in the wider picture. So let's talk Oddity. So Oddity, it's an Israeli company. Uh, it uses AI to develop cosmetics. Uh, it owns brands such as Il Maquillage and Spoiled Child. And I just, you know, I was taking a look at the prospectus earlier on this week. Um, and the tagline that Oddity uses is where beauty meets Israeli technology. If that's not a calling card for any uh, prospective shareholder, I don't know what is. Now, the company was founded uh, about 10 years ago by a brother and sister duo, Oran and Shiran. Uh, and Shiran, uh, who is the co-founder and chief product officer, Oran is the CEO. Shiran is, has got a LinkedIn profile and, uh, and did a bit of a, I wouldn't even call it a humble brag, maybe just a brag uh, about, the, about the IPO. Uh, she said that 10 years ago, Oran was 29, I was 26, when we embarked on this journey towards the mission of our lives. Last Wednesday on July the 19th, on my 36th birthday, gosh, I'm 36, that, that means I need to get going. 
uh, we were ringing the bell together at NASDAQ. 10 years of complete dedication, working 20 hours a day and waking up and doing it all again with the same energy and determination in our eyes. So they've had a pretty successful exit event, well, partial exit, uh, because the IPO last week, as, as Shiran says in this LinkedIn post, uh, it debuted on the NASDAQ and the original price range for this IPO was set at 32 to 32, uh, $34 per share, which actually ended up being upgraded or uprated to $35 a share. And it closed at the end of the day at $47.53, a pop, a first day closing pop of 35%. Now, fast forward a couple of days, it's now trading at nearer to $50 a share. So this is, you know, this is a successful IPO where proceeds were raised at a reasonable valuation. And then there was a pop on the day, which suggests that demand outweighs supply, which is always a really good news story. $424 million were raised. 10.4 million shares were sold actually by existing investors. So L. Catterton, the consumer and healthcare and fitness private equity fund, and actually the co-founders themselves, Oren Holtzman, et cetera, they sold 10.4 million shares uh, and 1.8 million was raised by the company. Now, it's also worth discussing in this kind of, in this structure, that these were ordinary class A shares that were sold. Now, ordinary class A shares tend to come with one voting, one voting share. Uh, there are a second class of shares, B class shares, of which Oran Holtzman, as the CEO and co-founder, owns the majority of, which have 10 voting rights. So although Oran's selling down from a uh, class A perspective, he is effectively still in charge of the voting due to class B shares. And this is pretty standard. You get this across a lot of tech companies. The concern there is obviously one of governance and too much power being held and centralized by the original founder and maybe the duty duty of the board of directors and, and, and other shareholders cannot be exercised. The other thing that's quite interesting in this deal, apart from, apart from the fact that it was a, a real boon for the markets, you know, in an environment where you know, the S&P and, and uh, you know, the S&P is up significantly over the last few months. The other thing that's worth noting is this green shoe option. Now, you may have heard of a green shoe option that is baked into an IPO agreement, but a green shoe option is effectively, it was also called an over allotment option, is the option available for the underwriters, in this case, Goldman Sachs, Allen, and Morgan Stanley, to sell up to 15% more than the original amount set by oddity, set by the issuer, for up to 30 days after the IPO. So the company sold 12.1 million shares on the IPO at a market cap of $2.7 billion. But they also gave a green shoe or an over allotment option of 1.8 million class A shares that the underwriters could take up effectively buy those 1.8 million shares at the offer price and then sell them at the market price. 
if they believe that they have the distribution and the demand to get those shares away in the market. So if you think about this from a bank's perspective, how do banks get paid in an underwriting in an IPO process, in an underwriting agreement? They get paid based on the size of the underwrite or the size of the IPO. So an extra 1.8 million shares increases payday for these organizations. But they might also get paid based on the spread between the offer price and the increased sale price if that IPO has popped. And because it popped by 35%, now up at over 40% since its offer price, then this could be a really, really nice payday from the arrangers, Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley, and Allen Co. Now, the green shoe option or the over allotment option is pretty, it's, you see it a lot across a lot of IPOs, and it's, it's a pretty vanilla construct these days. Um, and it's been used across significant companies you know way back into the way back into the 20th century but a very good example of a green shoe option was the one that happened at facebook in the ipo of 2012. now the syndicate which was headed by the underwriting syndicate headed by morgan stanley uh, agreed to purchase 420 million uh, 421 million shares at 38 dollars per share lesser 1.1 percent underwriting fee However, the syndicate ended up selling 484 million shares to clients, 15% above the initial allocation. Effectively, this created a short position of about 63 million shares for the banks. Now, if Facebook shares had traded above the $38 IPO price shortly after listing, the underwriting syndicate would have exercised the green shoe option to buy the 63 million shares to cover their short position. However, because Facebook shares actually declined, unlike Oddity, because Facebook shares declined below the IPO price soon after it commenced trading, the syndicate covered their short position without exercising the green shoe option at or around $38 in order to stabilize the price, basically put demand back into the market and stabilize that $38 range. So it's a useful tool for price stabilization and potential upside on the back of an IPO. Now, Oddity, you know, this is this is a really interesting company because it's, you know, it's a tech company, ostensibly, you know, tech, consumer, cosmetics, makeup, but it's profitable. It's not one of these highly loss-making, multiple privately venture-funded uh, tech companies that you know, that ends up wallowing a little bit in the public markets. This is a company that generates profit. Its revenue went from 111 million in 2020 to 223 million in 2021 to 325 million in 2022. So the revenue growth is super impressive. And it's, you know, its price earnings ratio at the moment is 73 times, which obviously is very high, but it's got earnings. It's EV to EBITDA ratio is 35 times. You know, that's not way beyond pale in terms of looking at other kind of breakout tech companies that actually make money in the public markets. So this is a really interesting one. And it shows that the IPO market is kind of open. And the opening of the IPO market came, I would say, on the 15th of June with the IPO of Carver. Now, we haven't spoken about this before, but I'm, uh, you know, this is not new news. It's four or five weeks old now. 
but it's also it's interesting to reference in the concept in the context of oddity and what is actually going on in the public markets and the private to public IPO space. So Carver was founded in 2011. It's a Mediterranean fast casual restaurant chain with 260 restaurants in the US. Now, the interesting thing, I'm not going to go into a lot of detail about this IPO, but the company, <laughs> the company priced the IPO or the banks, Jefferies, JP Morgan, and City, priced the IPO at $22. Now it is now trading at $52 a share. The actual pop on day one was 99%, effectively doubled closing day, day one from the opening price. So $22 becomes $44. Market cap goes from $2.45 billion. It's now at about $5.5 billion. This was the kind of the breakout IPO that told private equity sponsors, which told uh, growth venture capital investors that this might be, you know, the, the IPO market might now be open for business and valuations could actually hit the target that they want them to hit. So this was a breakout IPO. And I think the question that I was, you know, that I was talking to Ant to earlier on, uh, earlier on in the day is, was this underpriced or was this just smart? You know, you've got Jefferies, JP Morgan and Citi running the deal. They have to establish a price where they think that they can get it off in the market. There's enough demand at that particular price for price not to drop on opening. But the company wants as high a price as possible for its shares because it doesn't, because it wants to, if, if, if the shares are, if it's, if private shareholders are selling, they want obviously a higher price per share. And, and if it's the company selling, they don't want to be diluted for the amount of money they can raise. So $22 turning into $44 a share. Is this underpriced? Now, there's a couple of things to think about here. The first is, before the Carve IPO, the market for IPOs or the amount of IPO listings was, were, were down. And it was basically the IPO market was basically closed. So the worst thing that could have happened is that <laughs> Jeffries, JP, and City priced the IPO at $35 and it tanks down to 20. You know, that is a disaster. That will close the market back up again. It will be seen as a significantly failed IPO. The second thing to think about was the fact that in 20, the last valuation point of Carver was back in 2021, where they raised out of $1.4 billion valuation. So two years later, they IPO'd at a $2.45 billion valuation. Now, the, uh, the original investors and the, uh, the major investors in Carver, including T. Rowe Price, probably would have been pretty happy with that returns profile. 2.45 million from 1.4 million uh, billion over two years. So, you know, when when you're thinking about it on the face of it, it does look kind of dumb because they could have probably priced it higher and got away with it and still received a pop of 30 or 40 percent. But actually, at the time, when speaking to major shareholders and when speaking to the company and looking at the market, I can imagine $22 looked like a reasonable price. All this to say. All this to say that the IPO market, which has been ostensibly dead <laughs> for 18 months, I mean, I just, I've got a stat here, IPO market in the US, $154 billion of IPO fundraising in 2021, 
$8.6 billion in 2022. So what we're saying here is that the IPO market, which has slumped over the last 12 to 18 months, is starting potentially to tick back up again. And this is important, but it's also kind of logical. And actually, after every recent recession or every recent kind of bubble to crash, there has been a dip off in, in IPOs. And then quite quickly, there's been a recovery. Why is there, why, why is there this necessity to recover? Well, that is because private equity sponsors, investors, venture capitalists need an exit event. And they can only hold on assets or only hold on to investments or only hold on to companies for so long. Now, obviously, they have the opportunity to exit strategically to another corporate or even to another financial sponsor. But the IPO market is a really, really important exit opportunity in the private equity space. And yes, it can be closed for a year, effectively closed. But as soon as you start eking out into 18 months, two years, two and a half years, that's half a fund cycle from a private equity perspective. So necessarily, the IPO market starts to open up again. And what we've seen here is a couple of IPOs that have kind of tested the water and a 100% pop Carver and a 35% pop with Oddity suggests to a private equity um, fund that's been holding a particular company looking to see when the IPO window might be open, suggests that their price range that they could get for this IPO might be slightly higher than their kind of bearish case scenario. So this is really interesting from a market's perspective, but it's also really interesting from a private equity perspective. And obviously, we have been hearing more and more about private equity over the last few years as it's become a larger asset class relative to the public markets. It's been growing at 15% compound annual growth rate in terms of assets under management, and therefore it deserves more of our time and more of our energy. And obviously, this is slightly why we talk about it on the Wednesday, and then we talk about markets on Friday. And the piece of news that I, that I wanted to talk about very quickly uh, to link this all back in was CBC uh, last week raised, announced that they had raised the largest buyout fund in history of 26 billion euros. The CVC Capital Partners, um, they are a European private equity firm with 140 billion euros under management, uh, spun off from City in 1993, very successful, moved into growth equity and private credit and secondaries and things like that as they expanded uh, their footprints across the kind of value stack within private equity. But this is super interesting because dry powder, dry powder being the amount of assets under management that have not yet been deployed in private equity is at a record high. Fundraisings do not seem massively diminished. They have in some circumstances the CVC raising the biggest ever buyout funds suggests that there is still demand from pension funds and limited partners to get involved in these private equity funds. But then on the flip side, when it comes to actually deploying this capital, you know, buyouts of um, uh, acquisitions have been off since 2021 high, and exits have been significantly down. Exits 
have been significantly down, partly because things like the IPO market is closed, but partly because valuation, the requirement, the, the valuation requirements for an exit is just not there. So let's say I'm a private equity uh, fund and I have bought an asset uh, at an EBITDA multiple of 15 times in 2021. Uh, when the market was super hot and there was a lot of demand out there and asset prices were pretty high. Fast forward two years or fast forward three years and you're starting to think, all right, what are my exit options? You know, may maybe four or five years, but what are my exit options? I'm seeing the valuations are down from 15 times EBITDA to 10, you know, to 13 to 12 to 11. That's actually going to mean that even if I can grow my margin, even if I can use leverage in the right way, that's going to mean that my returns, my money on invested capital or my IRR is going to be down. And I don't want to see that happen. So we've got this really interesting situation of loads of dry powder, not a great deal of deal activity, although it has picked up and very, very few exits. So my what I'm going to be looking at over the next few months is our IPOs picking up, especially from a private equity or venture capital backed series of companies. What are valuations looking like? And can private equity weather this storm and actually ride through this uh, potentially period of loss, uh, period of loss making? Because if they do, if they manage to seal, you know, they, they've been returning eight to ten percent, eight to twelve percent over the last 15, 20 years. If they can still return, you know, five to ten percent in this market environment, demand for private equity funds from a limited partner perspective is only going to increase. So this is what we're going to see. And hopefully, this provides you with a little bit of good news in terms of markets. A little bit of good news in terms of uh, advisory, actually a little bit of good news. We talk a lot about the major banks laying off uh, senior bankers and junior bankers uh, across their advisory business, across M&A and equity capital markets. Now, if the IPO market roars back into life and subsequently also the deal making environment, the M&A market, which has started to show signs of life, roars back into life, then from a careers perspective, the cyclical nature is starting to turn maybe to the upswing. We're very early stages and we could go down, you know, a couple of interest rate hikes or the announcement of a major recession in the US or Europe might well dim those kind of those bullish sentiments. Uh, but that's what we're going to look out for. That's it. Hopefully this has given you some good news. Maybe put a smile on your face or a spring in your step. Uh, please do comment under the LinkedIn when we post this. Please do ask a question on Spotify. Uh, DM me on LinkedIn if you have any thoughts or questions or concerns about the state of the IPO market or, or even the private equity asset class. I will see you next week, hopefully with Ant. Uh, in the meantime, have a good week.